This is Ben Guest, and I'm happy today to talk to Larry Brown. Larry Brown is a former basketball co coach, 11 years, coached girls high school and boys travel in the summer, and has a master's in education and leadership, and a BA from Delta State in Mississippi. And I coached Mr. Brown, Coach Brown, uh, when he was a senior in high school in Hollandale, Mississippi. We went on to win the state championship. I was assistant coach, my first year coaching under legendary George Willis, uh, Simmons High School, Hollandale, Mississippi. So LB, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me. It's and great to see you, great to see you. It's great to catch up as always. And actually, uh, Larry, Coach Brown, Larry, I would just keep wanting to call you Larry. Uh, Larry's in Florida, I'm in New York City, actually. And in the apartment above mine, they're doing a little renovation. So there may be a few bumps that you hear on the, on the audio. But uh, Larry, I always like to start my interviews with a fun question. So you graduated high school 2001. What music, what songs were you listening to 2001? Uh, I say 2001 was what Lil Wayne, Ja Rule, probably what Master P. Mm -hmm. But that was Lil J Jay Z. I'm a big. That's my favorite rapper, Jay Z. Jay Z is your favorite. Favorite of all time. What's your favorite Jay Z album? It got to be the Blueprint. Mm. The Blueprint. Mm -hmm. That's that's something you just put in. Just let it play. Classic for sure. Um, and like I said, you you know, we won a championship your senior year, my first year there. What lessons did you learn from that championship season? Uh, everybody sacrificed. Mm. It's a sacrifice. We we looked at the bigger picture. We six seniors, we've been there twice, we came up short. We just looked at the bigger picture. No egos, everybody knew the offense go through. Julio, Julio the primary option, Ted the second option, Mike gonna be the third option. Uh, Ricky, you come off the bench, your job is to shoot. Trey, you come off the bench, your job is to shoot. Pat, Rat, you come off the bench, we need to score, rebound, Alvin, same thing, me and Mimi, we do the dirty work, we gonna win. <laughs> it was simple as that. And you played center, so you were blocking shots, rebounding, like you said, the, the dirty work that kind of helps win games. Yeah, um, so it, we just all bought in. Once you, I think, once you get to that, that point where you're so close and you don't get it, and now your time running out, this is last year, it's all or none. Remember, we came in that season, Julio was a daddy does one of the best players in Mississippi. We was actually ranked, I think I want to say number 10 or number 11. And then I don't think too many people realize this. So we're look, we're in Ms. Wilson class. So she let me read the newspaper all the time. So Julio was in there. So we are looking, Danny does it come out. No, I think uh, the rankings come out. We look at us, okay, Merle number one. So we look at that, okay, we rank number 11. Okay, Danny does it come out. Okay, we're looking at that, man. Who you're looking at that? Also, they started, I think it was like the top 10 underclassmen, like freshmen, sophomores. So they had that. And then they had like the top seniors, top 10. So we looking, looking, he looking, he like, I see your name. I said, for what? So I look, they had my name as 
one of the top seniors in the state. So I'm like, okay. Pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, we, we just bought in. We wanted to win. It had been like what, 20, 25 years since mm -hmm. they won one. Mm -hmm. And the, the town, you know how it was, when you was there, sold out. Everybody there, everybody there for the game. So mm -hmm. we owed it to them and we owed it to ourselves to, to get one. What I remember, speaking of the town of Hollandale, what I remember of, of the championship game is with about a minute left, Michael, Michael Miles hit a, hit a shot to put us up by 10. And, you know, when you're the head coach, you're always worried. But as the assistant coach, it's like, okay, we up 10. It's like, we're going to win. Minute left, yeah. we're going to win. And I just remember looking up in the stands in the Coliseum and the big house in Jackson and looking up in the stands. And it seemed like the entire town of Hollandale was in one section <laughs> just going crazy. What did it mean? What did it mean for the town that we won? It was just relief. And there was like mm. all the teams, you know, that been there, been there so close. It had been like 25 years since the boys won one. But then, you know, they had the tradition of the girls winning there and the girls winning and the girls being ranked in the nation. So it's just, it was an expectation. Mm -hmm. uh, we supposed to. This is not new for us. We're supposed to be there. So mm -hmm. that was the expectation of, and, you know, two years, for the last two years, we've been close, close. So what was, was cool like, What was cool about it is, like you said, it, was, it had been 25 years at that point, 2001, since the boys had won. They won in 76, I think. And then two or three years later, I guess, three years later, they won again. And, and there were some of the guys who were freshmen on the team that you you guys were on that yeah. led that team. So it's kind of like you kind of set the tone and set the standard, and they followed it up just a few years later. Yeah, but you know those guys, they think, you know how people always try to, what if the 96 Bulls played against LeBron team, who would win? Or They always try to, if we played you guys, we'll beat you. I'm like, nah, y'all, <laughs> nah. Yeah, All right, so, so that so that 2014, they had yeah. Luke, Alvin, Robinson, Jesse Jackson, DeQuindrick, Dorsey. Who was their fifth starter? They had uh Oh Howard. Eddie Lano. Lano. Yeah. Then they had uh Prentez, brother. Uh Ken no, he, Oh yeah, Ken Ken, yeah. Yeah. The shooter. He was yeah. a shooter. Okay, and you guys, but you guys have so much size. Yeah, Plus, out of everybody. You know, I mean, the two best players would be either be Julio or Carl. And Carl, yeah. I um, mean, they both went to play, went on to play Division One, but Julio was something else. Yeah, that's I keep telling them that's that's a hard matchup. I how would you how would you how would you describe Julio in, in his game? He was real. I would say he was real smooth, and you couldn't speed him up. He gonna get mm -hmm. to his spots on the court. He knew where his shot was gonna come from. And he was a matchup nightmare because he can take you on. You got to put somebody bigger because if you put somebody small, he's going to take you on the post. If you put somebody bigger, he's going to take him out to the perimeter. Mm -hmm. And so, so just, was, just, just for the listeners, Julio, whose real name is Jasper Johnson, I think his nickname Julio came from Sanford, his son. Um, he's a, probably 6'6", and in high school, 
I think, you know, maybe like 230, 240, something like that. I mean, big. Yeah. And uh, Simmons High was a 3A school, which is a relatively small school. So, um, and Larry, you're 6'6 as well, maybe even a little bit taller. So yeah. just the size that that team had was unusual for a 3A school in Mississippi. And then yeah. for, for the most skilled player on that team to be 6'6 and be able to shoot from anywhere, post up, score from anywhere. I mean, it's just a matchup nightmare. And he's left-handed. And he's left-handed. I always felt like left-handers made better shooters for some reason. <laughs> yeah, he's left-handed. So, but yeah, they, you know, we always get to that argument who will win. I, like, like I tell them, if we play y'all a hundred times, we'll beat y'all a hundred times. <laughs> Wait, they wouldn't even get one? No, nah, they wouldn't be. And I told them it'll, it'll be a blowout because they don't understand. They understand, but remember the teams we had to beat. Rosedale was like, if we look at Rosedale in the vacuum and we talk about it, they had just as much talent as we did. They guards were good. They bigs were big and physical. Uh, South Delta was good. Leland was good. Everybody we played, Nettleton was good. Remember we played Rosenfort and they had the kid, the guard. He was like, I think he was like Juco player of the year. Yeah, the Dunn. His last name was Dunn. Yeah, he was like Juco player of the year. So we went through a lot of good teams. Mm -hmm. And we blew and we had our way with those teams. Mm -hmm. And in that time in in Mississippi, high school basketball, Mississippi, there were players like Mo Williams, who must have played at least 10 years in the league, played played with LeBron on the Cavs. You had Al Jefferson, who's an all-star in the NBA. Was it Outlaw? Somebody, Travis Outlaw? Travis Outlaw. Yeah. Remember, so, remember you had uh Justin Reed played a yeah. little Yeah. He played he played he, a little I think I want to say he played with Boston for a little while. He did. You had uh Jerry Rice nephew, Darius Rice. Mm-hmm. He was good. Uh he played at like University of Miami or something, I think. Yeah, went to UM. Then you had yep. Shea Christie. He was down in Biloxi. He went to Clemson. I don't know mm-hmm. if he made it to the league, but you had him. Mo Williams. Mo Williams actually had a teammate, Maurice Daniels, that was pretty good. The, the other guard. But that's that's good. that's literally four guys just off the top of our heads that played in the NBA. Yeah. And and they were all, you know, juniors or seniors, your senior year in high school. So Mississippi, like if you just look at the population and then you look at yeah. like the talent, it's something yeah. else. And remember Monte Ellis was just He's coming the up. Next the next year was his freshman year. So he he yep. started coming up. Yep, for Lanier High School in Jackson. Um, so you played, of course, for, for George Willis, who's a legendary high school basketball coach in Mississippi. Uh, I think at one point, if you if you combine um, wins for boys teams and girls teams, because he coached both, uh, I think he was the all-time winningest coach in Mississippi history, I think, or second at least. What were some of the lessons you learned from Coach Willis? Uh, with him, it was all about, sacrifice, hard work, and he was very detailed. So you, you got to pay attention to the detail. And the most important, you got to get your schoolwork. I remember one time, uh, what grade? I think I was in, the, I want to say 11th grade. So we it was right before practice. So we changing or whatever. We waiting on the girls to get done. So my mom walk in. So I see her and him, you know, they having a conversation or whatever. So he tell me to come here. So, he was, so I was like, what's going on? He was like, uh, you did your science project? I was like, 
I'm gonna do it when I get home. They're like, nah, take him home. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you tomorrow. Take him home, make sure you do the project. So he was always school academics first. And he was tough too. I remember like some practices, especially if, if the team lost. <laughs> Y'all was finna suffer the next day. Yeah, I think that was him. uh, We were scared to lose, but it was more so how we lost. Mm. If we lost, if we lost real bad, we were gonna run him. If we lost and it was back and forth, or he knew we we played hard, he wouldn't he wouldn't do it. But it was always how we lost. And, and and Will could curse now and insult like he was so he was so funny and so creative. I remember I can't remember who it was. He was talking. Somebody was trying to explain something they had done on the court. This is like the next day in practice. And Will just said, the more you talk, the dumber I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was you, he, he was just one of them guys like you in the locker room. You in you know, he's going to say something and he says it and you like. How did he just think up that what he just said? And you mad? You mad? He said it about you, but it's funny at the same time. Give us an example of something he said. Um, what is um? Oh, Ricky. Oh yeah. So Rick was mad. I think he wasn't playing, or he wasn't playing enough as he as he thought he should be. So he had Ricky. You know what's going on? He's like, I I got a lot of problems. So like, you got a lot of problems. I got a lot of problems. You know what my main problem is? I got, when I reach in my pocket, I got $5 in my pocket. So you talking about problems, I got more problems. <laughs> just come up with that off the top of his head. It, it just come up with that on top of his head. So then you became a high school basketball coach yourself. Yeah. Hmm. Tell us about that and specifically how you think of how you think about coaching and, and what type of coach you were and how you conceptualize the idea of, of leading a team. So when I started coach, so I was thinking, you know what, maybe I, I should coach. So I was like, is it going to be girls or boys? But then I was thinking, anybody can coach boys. You just get the group of boys you can, but girls, you got to really break, break it down really get in there, teach, teach the game. And coming from Mr. Willis, he taught everything. So I was like, you know what? I'm a coach girls. Cause I like to break everything down. Like to explain it to them, let them know why they're doing this, why they're doing that. And so get to your question about, you know, what type of coach am I? I'm more of a, I like the, the dialogue, the player coach dialogue to where if they come off the sideline, I'm always in the huddle. What's going? What are we seeing out here? Okay, we ran this play. What do we? What do we see? If we skip it, what's the defense doing? So how can we adjust? I try to empower the players to. If they see a play, if I call the players, now nah, coach, let's run this play. All right, okay. All right, we're gonna run this. Okay. Then we come to the huddle while we ran this play. So I, I kind of empower the players, and I, I put a lot of onus on them because I know. It's been times where our last year with Willis, he'll, you know, he'll lead the gym. He'll be gone for like an hour. And we basically running the practice ourselves. So I kind of take those little things he taught us. And like you come to my practice the first, first day, 
everybody knows what's going on. I have my my leaders that's been in the program. They run, I let them run the practice, and I just sit back, watch, say little things until it gets time to the if we're gonna scrimmage or we're gonna put plays in. So I, I'm kind of more of a I'm a players more of a players coach. Yeah, I think historically that phrase players coach has has meant you know like it's almost been a negative thing but yeah. as you're describing it and that's very much towards the end that was very much my coaching philosophy as well of uh, you know i'm going to try to articulate this i don't know if i'm going to do a good job but it's like the more you try to hold on the less you can and the more you let go and just let things happen generally the better it's going to work out exactly so I think a lot of coaches get caught up with trying to be in control of everything and having to direct everything rather than you use practice to teach the game and go through situations, et cetera. And then when the game starts, I think, in my opinion, a good coach, 90% of your work should be done before the game starts. No, I agree. Because I got to tell the kids and my staff, we're going to put this where we coach during practice, during the game. All we're doing is making adjustments, substitutions and adjustments. That's all exactly. we're doing, adjustment. We should be coaching the game. They should, they already know the game plan. We just got to adjust to what's going on in the game. What does, you know, having played on a championship team and, and then later having coached, what is good leadership from the players? What does that look like to you? First thing, they got to hold themselves accountable so they can't, Whatever they get on a player about, they got to be able to do it. So if they're not hustling, if they get on a player about hustling, they got to be hustling. So they got to be holding themselves accountable. That's the first thing. They always got to hold themselves accountable. And I always tell them, you got to watch how you talk to each player because each player is different. Some players, you know, some players you can yell at. Some you got you got you got to hold them. Say, okay, forget that. It's gonna be all right. You turn the ball over, get back on defense. You miss that shot, you're gonna make the next one. You got to breathe confidence into your into your teammates and just set the. You got to be the leader. You got to be the one where okay, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I'm getting my teammates involved. I'm making sure they they good. If I see them around school by themselves, they're not eating lunch by themselves. I'm making sure they in class. Make sure they doing what they're supposed to. So it's just by setting the example. Did you do anything or, or tell me the things that you did to kind of encourage camaraderie amongst the team? So what we do, we do a lot of, I, how I run my program is sort of like a college. So we do a lot of team building things. Like we'll go before COVID, the year before COVID, we went roller skating. We went bowling. We, uh, we went to the beach. We have beach workouts. So we'll go on the beach and work out. And then we'll have a little barbecue afterwards. So we always did things where we were together. We'll go to the movies, just things to keep them together. So they can have those conversations. They can be around each other. Or we'll go, we'll play tournaments. I'll make sure we go out of town. Things that, you know, create that bond with each other. Why is going out of town important? Because that's when you, you learn a lot from with your teammates, especially you on a, you on the bus for three or four hours, like we'll go to Orlando. It's like, 
like three and a half in the car, but on the bus, you know, like four hours. So mm-hmm. now you you forced to talk to your teammates. I take all phones, all phones. I take all phones. I tell the parents if you need to get in contact with them, call me. I take their phones for the entire weekend. You got to talk to your teammates. So you mentioned the parents. First of all, I love the idea of taking all the phones. I think that's so smart, Larry. Uh, you mentioned parents. What's it like? You know, I don't want to use the word manage, but for lack of a better word, how do you manage parents in this day and age? Oh, I got some stories for you. With that one. <laughs> <laughs> so with me, so we have a parent meeting at the beginning. So, you know, you go through the rules and you know how the program is going to be run. So was it, it was this season during the pandemic. So this is the girl, she's a freshman. So we have JV team, varsity team. So I moved her up just, you know, her to get some experience of just seeing how fast the game is and how everything goes. So this is the first game of the season. So we, our season started in January, usually started in November, got pushed back due to the pandemic. So it's a halftime. So we're walking, we're walking in the, we're in the back. So the girls come out, they warming up. So we coach the staff, we talking. So I'm walking up. So, you know, I'm walking, I'm walking. So I hear somebody uh, stop me. I hear some, I, a tap on my shoulder. So I'm like, what? So I turn around. So it's the parent of the young lady. So the mom's like, well, is she gonna play? We came here, we thought she was gonna play. We spent our money, this and that, this and that. So I look, so I said, ma'am, you do realize we had a meeting and what was one of the rules that we went over? And you signed the contract saying you wouldn't break one of those rules where you wouldn't address the coach or coaches during the game or after the game. So like, yeah, yeah, but I said, I'll tell you what, talk to your daughter and I got to get back and coach this game. So that was one, one instant. So my first year as a head coach, we lost the game. So I had a, a lot of girls that were like freshmen. So we were walking out. It was me, a couple coaches, and uh, one of my players. So I see my player and her dad, like to the side. So I see them talking. So I was like, okay. We, so we just walking, we talking, we walking, we talking. So I heard some say, coach, can I talk to you for a sec? So I look. So I'm like, okay, what is it now? Mind you, we lost the game. It was like by at a buzz, it was at the buzzer to a rival, one of our rival schools. So like, like your your mindset is already. Yeah, I'm all yeah. And I didn't even want to see the boys play. So I left before the boys started playing. So he he comes to me, he's like, Well, you know, I feel you can be this, do this. I feel you can be a little bit more encouraging on the sideline. I feel you can do this, you should have did this. Then he was like, well, he had a shirt on with the school logo. Well, I coach basketball at this school right here. So I said, this time I wasn't, you know, I was in a bad mood. So I said, you know what? I told the girl, I said, bring me your uniform tomorrow. You go coach your daughter, take your daughter to that school and you have a nice day. And what happened? Oh, that happened. 
She bought me a uniform. <laughs> I don't know if he coached her at the school, but they had a nice day. Done deal. Have a nice day. Yeah. So it's with the parents, it's, it's not all parents. No, it's always one or two that they're like real delusional and they think their kids are better than what they are. Mm-hmm. So that that's like the biggest difference between when we're playing and it is now. You have the robot parents and I've been to games, but guess where this is middle school games where I'm just coming to watch. The parent is behind, sitting behind the bench and coaching the kid. Like they're in the huddle. The kid is sitting on the bench. The team is up talking to the coach and the parent is telling the kid not to pass the ball to this person, but shoot the ball. It's the worst. And it's so, it's so confusing and it's so unhelpful for the kid. Do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, I'm not telling you how to parent. I'm not coming to your house and and telling you how to parent. Don't come to my house and tell me how to coach. But like at Simmons in Hollandale, you know, at that time I was there, the time you were there, like a kid might play bad. And then, you know, Mr. Willis might yell at him or whatever. Then he might get yelled at worse by his parent. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, exactly. uh, which I'm not saying that's a good thing either, but I'm just saying it's a it's a totally different atmosphere. Yeah, because the, the the parents there, it's Mr. Williston. They're not saying mm-hmm. anything. They'll come yeah. sit in practice. They'll wait on us to leave practice. They don't come in, make noise, anything. They let him do what he got to do. I ain't never heard him say he talked to a parent about a kid playing time or nothing like that. But what I, what I love about what you did as far as having that preseason meeting and that contract is you're setting the expectations. And I think so much, so much um, conflict can be avoided in life, whether it's a basketball team, whether it's just life, if you set the expectations up front. Because now everybody knows, and now if you out of pocket, it's clear that you're out of pocket. Yeah, you, you got to, I try to set the tone. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, and I, I learned by watching different coaches over my years. But you got to set the tone, set their big expectation for the parents and the kids, so they know. Okay, this is like in my in our contract. I told the girls they can't wear slides to class. It got to be shoes. It got has to be shoes, or they can wear sandals. But slides, they can't wear slides. And they they got to have a three You can play with a two but they got to have a three and that, that's just the expectation. They got to go to study hall. They they bring me a weekly progress report. If it's below, it's A's and B's. I don't do, we don't do C's. If it's a C, everybody runs. Like everybody, I take them on the field. They run a mile around the track field. They snake the football field. They go from the goal, they, they run all the lines in the football field. From one end all the way down, they run the bleachers. That's just to set the expectation. No C's, A's and B's. And they, they totally they total line. I love it because now what you're doing from day one is you're setting the tone that there are no individuals out here. It's about the team. What, um, what surprised you about coaching when you started coaching? Um, that a lot of people can't coach. <laughs> I'm just I'll be here. A lot of people that they they in it for the wrong reason. They can't coach. What they want to do is say they want to get on Instagram or Facebook. They want to get on IG and say, 
these are the kids I got into University of Florida. These are the D1 kids I got into school. It's all about self-promotion. They want to use the kids to get a college job. Because I've talked to college coaches where they say, you know, I went to this school and I'm trying to recruit this girl, but the coach want to package deal. He wanted he want to give me the girl and he want a job on my on my staff. Mm-hmm. And they they can't coach these kids. They, mm-hmm. they, they can't coach. They just they don't they in it for the wrong reason. They don't study basketball, the game of basketball. So it's like like here, it's bad. It's really bad basketball girls mm. because they just don't put the time and effort into into developing the girls. They want to try. What I notice here, moving here is during like when basketball season over, it's like NBA free agents. They trying to get this kid to transfer here. They trying to do this, so they use the travel teams, and they just go to the travel games and try to get the kids to transfer. You'll have kids that's played for in four years. They played in four different high schools. Nice. I had uh, my name my first year coaching my guard. She averaged twenty. She averaged like twenty two points a game, but because she didn't want to buy into what we were doing, they transferred. And I told them we lost in the playoff game. We were like three hours away, and I went into the locker room. I told them, I said, "Look around. Two people not gonna be here next year." I said, "Cause y'all don't want to buy in. Is is y'all don't want to be coached. Y'all want to be individuals." And the two people transferred. Yeah, you get that toxic mix of coaches it's just the adults right it's the parents who want have some crazy expectation for their child the coaches like you said are trying to promote themselves and you have a lot of just messed up incentives and of course you have a 15 or 16 year old kid trying to navigate all that um it's just a recipe for disaster yeah it's like you said it's never the kids or the adults and they're always adults telling the kids that they're better than what they are and they really not. Yep. In every school I ever worked in, I always said, if we just made decisions based on what's best for the kids, for the students, we would almost never make a bad decision. And how often do we make decisions based on what's best for the kids? Almost never. Almost never. Because <laughs> everybody, everybody want to win. Everybody, they chasing their state championship. But mm-hmm. a principal once, he told me, he was like, I'm not... I don't want my coaches coaching to win a state championship. If you coach to get these kids better, that'll come because they'll mm-hmm. be better players and that'll come, that'll come. But a lot of people, they want their state championship. So they, yep. they try to get all they try to get all the talent, put it together. And it's, it's, it's back to that idea of like just holding on so tight. When you want yeah. something so badly, you actually messing up your chances of getting it. What, let's talk a little bit of specifics. How do you usually start practice? How do you like to start practice? Um, well, with practice, we go straight into our ball helmet. So everybody, mm-hmm. with me, everybody does pretty much the same thing. I don't care if you 6'2", you're going to do everything. So we just pretty much, we go through ball helmet. We got like a 20-minute ball helmet routine. So mm-hmm. we go through ball helmet. We'll go ball handling, then we'll go shooting. What, 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 what kind of ball handling drills do you have? Do you use? We go like basic, 
pound, dribble, left, right, uh, crossovers between the legs, in and out, those basic drills. Then we'll mm -hmm. go ball handling into creating your own shot. But I kind of, I teach the step back, but I generally don't do it. But I do it because I might have some players that can do a you know, step back jump shot. Or I know as they're going into college, they need that. Mm -hmm. but, we'll, but we'll go to a lot of, they got to, like I tell them, you got to learn how to pass, shoot, and play defense. You got to be able, and you got to be able to dribble the basketball. If you, if you can dribble the basketball, you can get a long way. I love it. What, what's one of your favorite drills to run? I like, I like the, uh, I actually like the CJ McCollum drill. What is that? He has a drill. You got to check it out on YouTube. Just type in CJ McCollum. He mm. has like a, a dribbling routine that he goes to, like just 30 seconds, real 30 seconds. They go from pound dribbles to crossovers to between the legs to behind the back. It's all, it's just simple. But he goes through it, like he'll go through it like real, real quick. He does it before like every game. Mm. So we'll so we'll just do the CJ McCullum drill. I love it. I love it. Coach Brown, I think that's all I got for you. Um, if people want to find you online, tell them how they can find you. Um, you know what? Let me see. I'm really not. I have social media, but you know, I don't really go You're not on really it. on it? Okay. I'm not really on it, on it like that. But you can uh, look us up at, I run a travel organization. I'm the director of programs for South Florida Elite Basketball. Okay. So you, I'm gonna send you that information so you, so you can follow us. Yeah, I'm definitely. Also, I'm gonna email you a game, let you uh, look at a couple games. Okay, for sure. Yeah, I would love that. I would love yeah. that. And I got I got one thing I want to ask you about before you before you leave. Yes, I'm a, little, I'm, a little, I'm a little upset with you. Okay, talk to me. So I was on Facebook, so I saw your timeline. It was like some years ago. I think you know what I'm talking about. So you you did the I guess it was the, the highlight film for when Marcus Sanders played <laughs> like <laughs> Yes. Okay. So let me let me break it down. So. I was at Simmons for two years. And so yeah. you guys were my first year. First, you were seniors. Yeah. You won the championship. And then, so that was in 2001. So this is right when Apple released like their first, or maybe it was their second line of IMAX. Okay. Um, and they had something called iMovie. And so it was like really the first easy to use video program where if you had a digital camcorder, you could record something, link it up to your to your iMac, and then edit it in iMovie. And, you know, I, I always, or I don't know if you know, but I, I always love film and have since gone on to, to make a number of documentary films. And so that season, the second season, after you guys had graduated, I in the summertime, I had bought an iMac and I bought a digital video camera. So I recorded a bunch of the games for that second season uh, for the boys and girls. And then at the end of the season, I made a highlight film for the boys and a highlight film for the girls. And it really came out well, like people yeah, love it. Even to this day, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw the link up sometimes and people just love it. Um, so it had nothing to do with like, <laughs> I didn't want to, I, I, I definitely wish I'd had it a year earlier because we won a championship that season. That yeah. would have been great to follow that season. Um, 
But uh, so the only reason there, there isn't a highlight film for you guys is because I didn't have the, the computer and the camcorder at that time. And I want to give you, I like how you, the documentary you did with the, with the, what was The girls it? team. The girls team. I remember yeah, you H, sent it to H. me. H.W. Byers. Yeah, I remember you sent it to me. That was, that turned out great. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting um, follow-up. So they won a state championship. Uh, that was great. And I had sort of learned actually from, from our season where we won. And then the following season where we didn't, we just lost in, um, I think we lost in the district. Of course, it was tough because you literally lost five five starters and your sixth man. But when I started that project, it's, the movie's called Showtime. When I started that project, I knew before the season even started, at the end of this season, in that locker room, people are going to be crying. They're either going to be crying tears of joy or tears of sadness. But I know this se- every season ends in tears. And so, you know, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, you know that there's already, you know, it's dramatic and it's going to end, you know, it's in, in that season ended with a championship. So uh, it's pretty cool. And actually one of the um, one of the girls on that team who she's, you know, now probably 30 years old and she's a coach herself now. She was a dandy dozen that year. Um, we're actually working on a book together, sort of a. Okay a middle-aged book for a book aimed at, at high school girls about basketball. So uh, it's funny how, you know, these things like, you know, we, we met 20 years ago or 21 years ago. Um, and, and it's just, it's neat to see, you know, you were, you were a teenager when I met you and now um, you've, you've coached for 11 years. Um, and same thing with, with Courtney uh, who was on that team. It's just so neat to um, see people grow up and go on and, and hopefully, um, carry a positive message forward in the things that they do. So it just really fills me with, with joy and happiness, um, you know, having followed you on Facebook and seeing what you're doing. So props to and, you. And, you know, I hate that I, I didn't take your class. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, so I taught, that year I taught ninth and 11th grade. So, yeah, uh, yeah you, who was your English teacher that year? Miss Barnes? Yeah, Miss Barnes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it would have been something. But I taught your sister, your younger sister Danielle. Yeah, she speaks uh, real highly of you. Yeah. Well, make sure you you say hi to everybody for me, okay. and uh, and it's great to catch up. And um, thank you for everything. Yeah. No, thank you. You know, I like to, of course, I'll get all the emails. I listen to your podcast. You know, follow yeah. you when you when you was coaching basketball. So yeah, you know, I'm always I'm always around looking. Love it. I'm always in your corner and you're always in my corner. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you know, if you need anything, feel free to reach out. Definitely. Okay. LB. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mr. Guest. So Larry and I recorded this episode on Monday. Sorry, that noise in the background is they're doing some renovating on the apartment above mine. So you hear some hammering in the background. Uh, Larry and I recorded this on Monday, and then a day later, we got the awful news that um, one of Larry's teammates, Jasper, Jasper Johnson, died suddenly. Um, Jasper, his nickname is Julio. We had just been talking about him on this podcast. Uh, Jasper was the the leader of the team, the best player on the team, the best player that I've ever coached, uh, and much more importantly than that, um, as great a player as he was, Jasper was an even better person. Uh, just a, the kind of person everybody wants to be around. Um, just had that natural way with people. Um, 
And so Larry and I messaged back and forth and thought maybe let's come back on and just record an edition where we talk a bit about Jasper and share some memories and, and, and thoughts uh, about Julio. So um, I, I wish the, the circumstances were different, but here is, is that edition. Okay, so LB, we adding this on Wednesday. Uh, the podcast is going to go out on Thursday. So we, we recorded our first part um, on Monday, and today's Wednesday. And yesterday, on Tuesday, we got the word that, that one of your teammates, Jasper, Jasper Johnson, Julio, um, died suddenly. And, and, you know, we were messaging back and forth. I was messaging with some other people from Hollandale. And we had literally just talked about on the podcast, we had talked about Julio and kind of talking about his basketball game. Um, so we just messaged back and forth and thought maybe come on here and, and just do a little addition uh, to the podcast. I wish it wasn't with such bad news, um, but I thought we could just share a little bit about Julio and, and who he was um, and, and especially who he was as a person. So I'll just, I'll, I'll go first. Um, Julio was just somebody, you know, he's, he's the best basketball player ever coached. Uh, like you said in, on the podcast, he was a dandy dozen, played Division One at Southern Miss, played professionally overseas, played in the G League. Um, so, you know, top, if you play professionally anywhere in the world, you're in the top 0.1% of basketball players. But he was just an even better person. Um, and... He just had a way about him that made people feel good. It was just always positive, you know, great storyteller, great um, joke teller, uh, and just just lightened up every room that he came into. Um, so what, what? how are you feeling and, and what are your thoughts and, and what would you like to share? Um, it's, it's a tough situation. When you lose your, that's my brother. When you lose your brother, it's tough. We grew up together. We were a family. We were brothers, a band of brothers. We had a brotherhood. We always, we always kept in touch, even though we didn't talk every day or see each other all the time. We always stayed in touch. We always talked. And our, our conversations were more about life. We, mm -hmm. we touched the basketball side some, sometimes, but we always, he talked about, he asked how I was doing coaching. We always talked about his kids. We just talked about, you know, the life aspect of it. Uh, what we're going to be, we see ourselves five years from now. He always gave, you know, good advice about like handling situations. He was one of those, like you said, people that he had an aura about himself to where when he comes in, he makes it so easy and he talks to everybody and he mm -hmm. makes everybody feel comfortable. Like mm -hmm. he makes them feel important. He never, you know, some people, they get on a, a stage or a, they reach a status and they kind of like brush people off or, you know, a little arrogant. He was never like that. Mm -hmm. He was, he was the same person from a kid all the way up. Mm -hmm. He cared, he cared about everybody. He'll give you the shirt off his back. He'll he'll hold a conversation with you. He'll give you advice. He was just like one of the most. He was like a great. He was a great person. Mm -hmm. 
had yes. a gray heart. He had a gray heart. And it hurts. It 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 hurts. And like I was saying before, you came on, it kind of reminds you of Kobe when Kobe passed and everybody they talked about Kobe the person and not Kobe the basketball player. It's the exact same way. We talk about Jasper the person and not the basketball player. Because mm-hmm. it was so much bigger than that for him. He loved, he loved Hollandale. He loved mm-hmm. everything about it. And he always wanted to see the kids succeed under us. Or he always wanted to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, I'm I'm devastated. I lost my we lost I lost my brother and just trying to comfort my other brothers. We were, you know, in the group group text last night we were you know sharing pictures and you know we were devastated um i get home we just we're gonna try to keep this we're gonna keep his memory alive and like they always say legends never die mm-hmm. and he was he was a legend so hopefully we can get a street named after him something in the gym named after him or so, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna make it my business to see how can we do that. At yeah. least get the at least get the road leading into the gym, Jasper Johnson Way or mm-hmm. Jasper Johnson Avenue. But we, we gotta honor his legacy. Yeah, I mean it, it's like like we talked about on the on the main podcast. You know, you guys had lost um, state two years in a row. Your your sophomore year and your junior year. And then your senior year, which was my first year there, I was an assistant coach. Um, you guys, we, we won. Um, we won the cha- So you guys won a championship. It was you and Jasper and four other seniors. So six seniors, five starters and the sixth man. And, um, you know, that kind of trial of being so close and losing, being so close and losing, giving everything you have, and then the last chance winning, that just that creates such a strong bond. I mean, you guys already had that bond, um, but like you said, it was it was like a brotherhood. And I remember so after we won um, the championship, we were in Jackson, and I think we went to Shoney's um, for like late lunch or dinner or what, whatever it was. You know, after all the celebration and everything. And Jasper's the one who said, you know, like we 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 had tables set up, and then they set up like a center table, and Jasper's like. Just the six seniors and the coaches sit here. And then, you know, everybody else can sit here and here and here. Um, and, and like, you know, like you said, it's bas- basketball's a little thing. Uh, what, what Jasper had, it's like the, the type of person everybody wanted to be around. And so Jasper, all, all, all of you guys, all six seniors were 17, 18 years old when I was there. I was 25. And Jasper's the only person only high school I've ever coached or taught where I would look at Jasper as a 25 year old I would look at Jasper as an 18 year old and say like he's got more things figured out in terms of life than I as a as an adult he has more figured out as a teenager than I do as an adult Um, and I just felt that like he was just wise beyond his years and he just had a demeanor about him that allowed him to interact with people and, and meet them where they are. Um, I, I, somebody, I think it was Ashley put on Facebook, you know, something like like the whole hood 
is is shook up by this like everybody you know had love for for julio and he just he was that type of person that you know just people loved to be around and wanted to be around yeah and not even just people from holland i talked to mm -hmm. people from from delta state mm -hmm. and it's just it's tough everybody just they just know him as this great human being, which mm -hmm. he is, was a great human being. It's just his personality. He gonna always, like you said, he gonna tell a joke. He gonna make you laugh. And when you meet him, you're just like, he's a he's a good person. Mm -hmm. Like that, you like that's that's a good person. I remember one time. So this was we were down in Jackson for state, and you know we were staying there for a couple of nights. And I remember, so you guys had brought, maybe it was like a dreamscape, whatever video game system was, was the big one at the time and, you know, playing the NBA game. And I remember it was like some of the younger guys. So in the game, during the actual game, maybe it was like um, the semifinals, during the actual game, Jasper had his shot blocked by somebody. And of course, we end up winning the game and going on to the state championship. But anyway, in that game, Jasper had a shot blocked by somebody. Now we're back at the hotel or the motel, and like the younger guys are playing the NBA game, and somebody blocks somebody's shot, and then like you can pause it and like rewind it and show what it looks like. So <laughs> Jasper was in the room. They just come in the room, and one of the younger guys was like, "Like Julio, look!" And they showed the person on the video game getting their shot blocked, and they're like, "That's you." You know, because Julio had his shot blocked. And then Julio was like, yeah, that's funny. He's like, can you, is there a camera? Can you change the angle? And they're like, yeah, we can move the camera however we want. He's like, just just rotate this way, the camera. So they rotate the camera in the video game this way where you can see the benches. And you can see the the, the player getting his shot blocked. And then Julio's like, see those guys on the benches? That's you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was Julio. You know, he just had a yeah. way. What can can you share some some happy memories of uh, of Julio? Um, yeah, I can remember one. We were it was our last home game. We were mm -hmm. playing. I forgot the team we were playing. We had just we just won a district district tournament. So you know the practice before Willis was showing us. I guess the team we were playing against. You know how you say, you know they they are a good team. This and that. This and that. So we were like, yeah, okay. So me and him arrive at the same time. So we're walking into the gym. And I guess he can tell I'm kind of a little tight, a little nervous, because I'm this our last game. And we, you know, we on our way. We're trying to win state this year. So he looked at me, he was like, relax. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, you just relax. We're gonna win. We're gonna blow them out. We're gonna win state. I looked at him, I said, you're right. I said, you're right. And we walked in the gym and I think we won by like, what was like 40, 50 points that night. Mm. I had like, I think like eight blocks, probably like 15 rebounds, almost 10 points. I think I played like one of the best games I had in a long time. Mm -hmm. And it was just, he, he can always make you just, calm, feel calm and and just believe. Mm -hmm. And he saw that I just I needed that. And I 
and I looked at him and just the way he said it, like he was just so calm and just saying it. And the look he gave me, and I can remember I blocked the shot and I looked at him on the court and he shook, he shook his head, a smile, and I was like, yeah, you're right. That's such a great story because that, that, that word used is such a great description, which was calm. You know, most like 18-year-olds, most teenagers are just super hyped, especially when it comes to sports and, and you know, big games and so forth. And Julio was just calm. He was just a calm person. Um, yeah, he, go ahead. yeah he, he was. And I remember um, remember he, he was in the car accident. Mm-hmm. So he did play in the beginning of the season. I remember we were in Rolling Fork and we were playing in the tournament and we didn't have him. I think we were playing, I want to say, I think we were playing T.L. Western. So it was halftime. No, we were getting our butts kicked. So he walked into the locker room. Willis had already, you know, gave us the ride. Mm -hmm. So he walked into the locker room after Willis got done talking. He looked. He was like, don't worry about it. I'll be back. Just hold it down till I get back. I'll be back. And I will take care of everything. And he walked out. Yeah. And he did. He came back and, and you know, he it was interesting, like going through the playoffs. I felt like each each round district and then North State and then um, state like a different player kind of stepped up in each round. Like, yeah. I think it was I think it was Tez who just went off in North State, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And uh, but it was Jasper in the championship round that that just carried us. Yeah. When the money was on the line. Mm-hmm. We had like I remember Gina Oriam used to say when he had Don and Tarasi, I got mm-hmm. Don and Tarasi. Yeah, we had Jasper, so yep. we are we knew it was gonna win. Yeah. Um, he uh, I wrote about this on Facebook. So he arranged for me. So Jasper went to Southern Miss and played there for a couple of years, and then played his last year at Delta State. And when he was at Southern Miss, he arranged for me because um, I was still an assistant coach at the time to come work Southern Miss's um, summer camp, basketball camp. And so I had a great time. And of course, it was great to see Jasper. That's the last time I think I saw Jasper in person, probably, which is 18 years ago, 2003. Um, But I just remember even then, so Jasper had just finished his freshman year and the campers were watching the guys scrimmage. And you could just tell like Jasper was already kind of the leader of the team and, you know, there was, a, I forget who it was, but there was another big guy who was like super emotional and he was maybe a year or two older. And, you know, Jasper could, could just calm him down. I mean, he just had that personality that was, he understood people and he, and he was able to understand and because he understood people to be able to reach them at their level, on their level. Yeah, he, he knew everybody. He knew, mm-hmm. he knew how to talk to everybody. He knew when you need to pat on the back, kick in the butt. But he he understood everybody. He knew how to talk to everybody. He knew how to talk to his teammates. He talked to, he treated the starters the same as he treated the bench players. Mm-hmm. He always kept them engaged. He always gave them confidence. He was he was our leader. Mm-hmm. Blank. He was the leader of the team, and we respected him because he worked hard and he did things the right way. So we told the line. 
and he didn't make it seem like he was this and we was that. He made it seem like everybody was the same. All 12 people were the same. And we just, us six seniors, you know, we had that, that bond, that brotherhood, and we wanted to win. And we took everything in and we, we wanted to win, wanted to win our last year, wanted to win for the town, and we laid it all on the line. And we did, and that was like, that was a great feeling. Yeah, I, you know, we Jasper and I kept in touch, you know, over Facebook and so forth. And I remember, so Jasper played probably 14 or 15 years professionally overseas, um, primarily in South Korea, and was just a huge star in South Korea in their basket in the Korean Basketball League. I think he told me once that he might have been on like the, the cover of the Korean Basketball League video game. Um, Cause he was so big over there. And it's again, like everybody loved him. So whether he's in Hollandale, Mississippi, or he's in Seoul, South Korea, like everyone just loves him. But he told me once he was like, Mr. Guest, I might not have made the league, but when I get done playing, it'll be like I made the league. Meaning he yeah. was just, you know, making his money. And, and um, I, I just always remember that line. I might not have made the league, but when I'm done, it'll seem like I did. Yeah. And he had that, when uh when he came to Vegas, he was playing with the developmental league. Mm-hmm. And I was in his room. Everybody came to his room. They just everybody came to his room and they just they just hung out. They just liked being around him. He was telling jokes. He was introducing me to everybody. And it was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. It just felt like home. And he was just so comfortable. He's just mm-hmm. so comfortable talking to everybody. Knowing everybody personality, joking with this person, joking with that person. And he made it. And it felt like in the city of Hollandale, every once he made it, everybody made it. Mm, yes. Every, and, he's, yeah. and he loved Hollandale. Yeah. Every yeah, the whole city made it. Everybody made it. Because I know um, there's a, a coach here that he actually played with Jasper in the developmental league. Mm. Same thing. Speak very highly of him. Great, say a great person. Everything that we he echoed the same sentiments that we say, and I always talk about him to even to my girls, my team. His work ethic, just how he carries himself, and he's the definition of a, a leader. Exactly. And I, and I think, like Kobe, after basketball, he was going to do something great. Yeah, he had just started. I think maybe the last two years he was teaching and coaching. Yeah. In, uh, in South Haven. And you know, it's, I mean, just to give you another example of, of that, of what you're saying, what I'm saying. Um, a couple of years ago, one of the kids that I was coaching in Namibia, really, really talented and probably, you know, could have been a, a pretty good division two player. And I just emailed one of the coaches at Delta State to just say, hey, um, you know, there's, there's a player here, you know, send, I'll send you some tape, et cetera. And I, I referenced Jasper. And so Jasper played his last year at Delta State. And then when he would come home in the summers, I think he would work out at Delta State. And so I'm pretty sure that the coach that I, assistant coach that I emailed, didn't coach Jasper when Jasper played at Delta State. It must've been like 2005 or 2006. Um, but he just knew Jasper from, from the summers. 
and he emailed back right away and he's like yeah let's you know send me the video and then he's like p.s you know julio is just a great guy and we love having him around the team you know at that time julio was probably 30 31 years old um third maybe even a little bit older but just you know everybody that came in contact with him just had says the same thing right it's just like he's just a great guy to be around yeah it's it's hard to find those people that's genuine mm-hmm. and you know in today's in, you know today's world it's like genuine mm-hmm. and he's like he's genuine he'll help mm-hmm. anybody and he loved holiday mm-hmm. yeah he always came home every summer to holland and used to, i think he used to throw a big party every summer and he would do free clinics for the kids, everything. Yeah, uh, it's tough. It was just so shocking because I, I guess, you know, you guys are the same age. So Jasper was 38, 38 years old. Yeah, it, it was tough. I was sitting here uh, on my couch yesterday. <clears throat> Ricky texted me. So he was like, hey, LB, I'm, I'm checking on you. So I like, because, you know, we do that for time. So I like, Mm-hmm. No, everything, everything's good. How's everything going with you? So as soon as I texted him that, I guess he read it and realized that I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So probably 30 seconds later, he called me. He told me, I was like, you got to be kidding. You, are you? He's like, no, I'm for real. I'm like, come on, man. You. And it didn't hit me until probably like 1030 at night. We was in the group text. Ricky sent a picture of all of us. And then I was like, I can't believe he gone. Mm-hmm. Ted committed. I can't believe he, I can't believe he gone. And I just said, we, we lost our brother. Mm-hmm. And it, it hurts. And Mimi said, I just talked to him a couple of days ago. I can't believe mm-hmm. And so the last time you saw him was at the beginning of the summer? was uh, Memorial Day weekend. We all hung, uh, it was our 20th class reunion. We, uh, he had a little birthday party. I went there, you know, we hung out. And then Sunday, I was at my uncle's house. He stays like down the street from, from his relative. So he saw me down the street. So he came, walked down the street. So we stood, you know, we talked for like 30 minutes about, you know, just general life stuff, what's going on and everything. I was like, all right, I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. And you never, and that was the last time. Mm-hmm. It's like you said off air, like you just, you never know. You know, you never know when it's your time, when it's going to be somebody else's time. Yeah. But it's, it's great to see how you touch so many people's lives and how you inspire so many people. And his, his legacy, it'll live, it'll continue to live. Hopefully we can do something, like I said, try to get like a street named after him or something to show him our, our gratitude and how he embraced Hollandale, how he was Hollandale through and through. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the least the city of Hollandale or the school Simmons High can, can do for him. Get yeah. a street name, something. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I think that's a, a good, you know, good place to leave it. Like he's going to leave it. He, he left a legacy. He left a basketball legacy for sure, but he left an even bigger legacy just in terms of the way he treated people and interacted with people 
all over the world. You know, he played in South Korea, he played in South America. Um, and, you know, his, to me, my memories of Jasper and, and his legacy is about just treating people well, treating people kindly, um, enjoying life and, and, you know, spreading, spreading positivity in the world. Yeah, he was always positive. I don't think I ever see him like, I'm like, never mad or, Yeah. I never, I'm come to think of it, I'm like, never. I've never seen him like mad. He was always, like I was talking to my uncle today, we were talking about, he's always even killed. Mm-hmm. He's never too high, he's never too low. Mm-hmm. He's always level and he always got, he's always two moves ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He always got a play and he yeah. always, he spoke, and when you, he's one of the people where he speaks and you listen and it's so profound, you're like, okay, I, mm-hmm. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, I, you know, teaching at Simmons, which Simmons High School is in, in public school in the heart of the Mississippi Delta, 100% of students are on free and reduced lunch. Um, and, and teaching there, you kind of, you know, you have this group of students that you're worried about, like what's going to happen to them. And then you have this group of students, you're like, yeah, they're probably going to be okay. And then you have like this group of students and you say, these students are going to make it. And the number one student that I ever taught that I knew without a doubt was going to be successful in life was Jasper. And, and he was, um, and, and his life ended way too soon, but in those 38 years, um, he lived, he lived life and, and was successful at, at, to my mind, everything he did, successful in life, successful in relationships with people, successful in, in, um, in understanding what's important in life, which is, um, which is people. Yeah, no, exactly. I think as a, you know, as human beings, when we leave this earth, we want to feel that we made an impact on people's lives. And mm-hmm. he can rest easy knowing that he made an impact on a lot of people's lives. Even people that he probably didn't know he made an impact on. He impacted a lot of people's lives. And it's, you know, it's sad, it's unfortunate, but we were going to continue to speak of him keep them, speak them into existence, keep them around, always speak about them. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, I couldn't be said any better, LB. All right, I think let's, let's leave it there. Um, thanks for taking the time and, and hopefully um, for the Johnson and Rose families, obviously our, our deepest condolences and for everybody that knew Jasper you know, hopefully maybe listen to these few little stories we're sharing um, can in some way, you know, help a little bit. So LB, you take care of yourself. Love you. And um, uh, talk again, message again soon, I'm sure. I wish it was under better circumstances that we're talking today. But like you said, time is promised to no one. Yeah. Love you too, Mr. Guest. Appreciate it. Um, Jasper, love you. Lost a brother. I'm going to mourn you till I join you. That's going to be my motto. I'm going to mourn you till I join you. So we're going to keep, keep it going. Yep. Here, here's to Julio.
Julio. Thanks, LB. All right, thanks, Mr. Guest.